audio version of the Geneva Lectures was produced by Bible Truth Publishers of Addison, Illinois, and they're used by permission for this podcast. These podcasts are for your use and not for redistribution or sale. If you enjoy these lectures, you can purchase the full set from Bible Truth Publishers' website. Links to the audio, ebook, and paperback forms can be found in the show notes for this episode. Now buckle up and get ready to be blessed through this reproduction of The Hopes of the Church of God. Lecture 6 Read Daniel chapter 7, verses 16 through 27. The Two Characters of Evil Ecclesiastical Apostasy and Civil Apostasy Up to the present, dear friends, we have only spoken of the happiness that pertains to the Church, save that, at our last meeting, we trace the progress which evil will make on the earth until the very end. This evil has a twofold character, on which I will speak a few words, seeing that the relations which exist between the power of evil and the judgments which await it have a special interest for the children of God. When evil has come to its height, God will destroy it. The verses which I read are the interpretation which the angel gives to Daniel of the vision of the beasts which the prophet saw, and, as always occurs in symbolic prophecies, the interpretation contains many new features. In the explanation given to Daniel, all that will happen to the saints is added, but the principal subject of the chapter is the beast which exalts and elevates himself against the Most High God. I say, dear friends, that there are two characters in the evil which manifests itself on the earth. The first is ecclesiastical apostasy, and the second, apostasy of the civil power itself. First, apostasy of the church, viewed in its outward responsibility here below, has in principle taken place. Later on there will be a more open manifestation. As to the second, the civil power will rise against him to whom all government belongs, against Christ, whom God will establish king over the earth. It is in the time of the fourth beast, the Roman Empire, that this revolt will take place. Before entering directly on our subject of today, I desire to make a few remarks on Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, to which we shall return when we speak of the nations. For all the peoples of the earth which shall exist at the end of the times shall be either subject to Christ and, consequently, saved, or in rebellion and consequently destroyed. But to remove doubts on the subject of this chapter, a few words must be said on it. People believe ordinarily that the judgment of which this chapter treats is the last or general judgment, but they are wrong. It is the judgment of the living nations on this earth, and not of the dead. Accordingly, I did not speak of it when we treated of the resurrection of the dead. In this chapter of Matthew's Gospel, I repeat, there is no question whatever of resurrection. In chapters 24 and 25 are seen the judgment of the Jews, what will happen to that nation, next, what will happen to believers, then, what will happen to the Gentiles. It is the judgment of the quick and not of the dead. It is this when we read, Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. What has given rise to the notion 
that it is the judgment of the dead is the statement that these, the wicked, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. But this would only tell us that the judgment of the living would be final, like that of the dead. Certainly, when God judges the living, His judgment sends some to eternal punishment and others to life eternal. The judgment of the living is as certain as that of the dead. We shall be able to speak of it in its place. The Relationship of the Ecclesiastical Apostasy to the Apostasy of the Civil Power Last time I was speaking mostly of the tares, that is, the ecclesiastical apostasy, of the progress of evil there, of that which has happened to the church as on earth. Now I am going to look into the apostasy of the civil power in its outward form, and the judgment which will come on it from God, for his wrath will fall on this power. If at the close ecclesiastical evil in some sort disappears in the character of secular power, and if the civil power has exalted itself, ecclesiastical power is not the less vigorous, only it is not the supremacy, and herein is the difference. In other words, it is not that ecclesiastical power has improved itself, only it is not exercised the same way, but its influence is not the less pernicious. It is no longer an ecclesiastical power wielding the secular arm, which is seen riding on the beast and ruling it, but it takes a more mysterious form, and consequently a more dangerous one. Its occult influence continues, though deprived of its outward splendor, for by their pride men now begin to lift themselves up and combine against God, and so prepare the way for the son of perdition. Although ecclesiastical wickedness is always the worst, nevertheless, as we have been saying, civil apostasy will have its time of manifestation. Scripture tells us that all civil power is of God. Now, in the same way that the church loses its proper force and character by its rebellion against God, so the civil government will be found in a state of revolt and apostasy when, instead of confessing fealty to God, it sets itself up against God, who is the source of its authority. The Spirit of God being the true strength of the church, the church's revolt begins when, instead of being subject to Christ, it gives itself over to the will and power of man, leans on man's aid and renounces truth to follow error. Christ is the head. The Holy Spirit is the only strength by whose means the church can act, and when the church is not guided by the Spirit, and is not in this sense truly subject to Christ, Christendom is practically apostate. Now, at the end of the present dispensation, the civil power will be found in the same state of revolt, and be it remembered that apostasy in the civil power is a thing much more manifest and prominent than in the church. This will take place in the bosom of Christendom, and it would seem that ecclesiastical wickedness will be its moving power. We have examples of this in Scripture. When Absalom was in revolt against David, Ahithophel was his counselor, 2 Samuel chapter 15. The instigator of the rebellion was, without doubt, Satan. But Ahithophel directed the conspiracy against the king. It was Dathan and Abiram, simple Israelites, though men of renown, who rebelled against Moses. But the revolt is called that of Korah, who was a Levite, and seduced the others. In the same way God accuses the priests and the prophets of Judah of the iniquity of the people since the civil power had only followed their evil counsels. The same as being the order of things in Christendom. 
those who ought to have instructed the church, who ought to have represented the wisdom of God, and have recalled governments to a sense of their duty towards God, being themselves in a revolt against Him, have concealed the truth, have taken a form which has seduced the world, and have thus led the civil power into the same departure from God. There will be a revolt of this latter, but the ecclesiastical power will be the soul of it. The Beast with a False Prophet What do we find at Armageddon? A false prophet who falls there along with the beast. From the beginning to the end there is always a beast. And with a beast a false prophet. It is the one or the other who guides the rebellion. But at the end the beast takes the lead, as being able to act more directly and freely. Thus it is the beast, which at the last is the direct object of judgment. Such we find to be the case from Daniel chapter 7, but spiritual energy has been ministering to its power. From the instant that the beast, or the civil power of the fourth monarchy, shall set himself in revolt against God, this monarchy will be found in relation with the Jews. And it is this which introduces us anew into the history of this people. You remember, dear friends, that when the fourth beast appeared on the scene of this earth, there were Jews at Jerusalem. Christ was presented as king of the Jews to the fourth beast, represented by Pontius Pilate, who rejected him in this character, which he is never to lose. At the end of the age the same fact will be reproduced. The Jews, returned to their own land, though without being converted, will find themselves in connection with the fourth beast. There will be saints among them, and this fourth beast, exalting himself against God, will put himself in direct opposition to Christ as the king of the Jews. It is true, indeed, that his deadly opposition to Christ will go much further than at the time when Christ stood before Pontius Pilate. For he will then arrogate himself, his rights as king of the Jews. It is then that Christ, coming down from heaven, will destroy the beast together with the Antichrist, and will take the remnant of the Jews to be his earthly people, and will put all nations under his feet. This being the case, you will readily understand that many things in Scripture apply to the Jewish saints, that is, to this faithful remnant of the Jews, and not to the church. We know, that is, that during the time of the ecclesiastical apostasy, there have been many persecutions against God's faithful children. In such cases, the saints of all times could draw comfort from the consolations of God found in such passages. But in these last times, when it is a question of persecution of the saints, the application must be made to the remnant of the Jews, whose blood will be shed like water. Psalm 79, verse 3. If we consider the history of the beast in a general manner, whether in its pagan form or under Tiberius Caesar, and the other emperors, or under the influence of the corrupted Christianity of the Middle Ages, we see there have been, at every succeeding epoch, persecutions against the saints, and we may use as of them the scriptural expression, and in her was found the blood of the prophets, and of saints, and of all that were slain upon the earth. Revelation chapter 18 verse 24 But when we come to the time when the civil power will openly raise the standard of revolt, to the moment when these prophetic facts have their full realization, it is on the Jews that the persecutions will fall. To them, therefore, these citations have their primary application. From the moment that the rights of Christ, as King of the Jews, are agitated, it is the Jews who will appear on the scene. For the Jews are God's earthly people. 
But where is the church then? It will be entirely out of the scene at the time of these last persecutions. Before we quote the chapters which treat of the apostate civil power substituted for the apostate ecclesiastical power, we would insist again on this, that the revolt of the ecclesiastical power is not the less dangerous because it has not the supremacy. On the contrary, we repeat, that this power is the secret counselor of all the evil. The only change that will take place is that it will cease to have, outwardly, the preponderance. The not seeing this has led many into error, because men, in the use of ordinary observation only, have perceived that it could no longer depose kings. They have supposed that the ecclesiastical power has absolutely disappeared. No attention has been paid to that which the children of God might ascertain out of His Word, namely, that its moral influence would survive the destruction of its political existence, and that it was precisely this influence which would urge on the power, properly so called political, to revolt against God, and thus to its destruction. I am not saying that it is not the will of man which, by its own energy, guides the beast to its eternal ruin. This is indeed true, but in the meantime, it is the ecclesiastical apostasy which, either arrogating to itself the power, or shutting the door to the manifestation of the will of God, seduces by its machinations the inhabitants of the earth to acknowledge and adore the beast. I advert to the passages which refer to the observation just made. First, the end of Daniel chapter 7, where the fourth beast is found. Afterwards, Revelation chapter 16, and especially chapter 17, where the two are distinguished, namely, the great whore, or Babylon, and the beast. In chapter 17 we get the woman clothed with scarlet, a power whose principal element is ecclesiastical. She is mounted on the beast, or civil power. After that, the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, ecclesiastical power, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to give their kingdom to the beast. Let us now examine the passages which concern the sources of evil, and more particularly, the kind of evil which is exhibited in that power which is in rebellion against God, namely, the fourth monarchy. Let us see the form which the rebellion will take. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 3, we find the source of the power, the great red dragon. We are there, as it were, admitted behind the scenes and see Satan desiring to destroy him who is to govern all nations with a rod of iron, Christ, and in Christ and with Christ, the Church. It is properly the power of Satan and the great combat. The Word of God puts in contrast the Father and the world, flesh and spirit, Satan and the Son of God. Here we have the great dragon, or Satan, who wants to devour him who is to govern the nations with a rod of iron but it is in heaven that we see it. Afterwards, verse 9, he is cast out, an event which has not yet taken place. Here there is a difficulty to some minds. Because the devil is cast out of the conscience, which is true, that is, his accusing power is rendered null by virtue of the blood and work of Jesus Christ, they suppose that he is cast out of heaven. Satan has indeed no power over our conscience if we have understood the value of the blood of Christ, but he is still in heaven where he accuses the children of God. 
We see from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that the wicked spirits, margin note, are in the heavenly places, margin note. By reason of this, there will be a battle in heaven. A battle, the effect, not of intercession or of priesthood, but of power which will take place, perhaps with the help of angels, but which will ever be a work of power. At the same time, though Satan shall be cast from heaven, he will not yet be chained to the bottomless pit, and the fruits of his wickedness will not yet have found their limit. So it is said, The devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Satan, cast down from heaven to earth, will act there by the agency of the Roman Empire. Revelation chapter 13 describes what will appear on the scene as the providential instruments by which he will seek to make good his power on the earth. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. It is remarkable that the dragon has his crown on his heads. The beast of chapter 13 has them on his horns. There is no question of crowns on the beast in the last form of all that he takes. This is the terrestrial agency. This beast will unite all the characters of the three previous beasts. The authority of the dragon becomes established in the Roman Empire. It is the beast with seven heads and ten horns. I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. That is, one of the governing forms of the Roman Empire, ruined. But afterwards the mortal wound is healed, and the form which was destroyed re-established. Now, if we compare the acts of the little horn of the same beast in Daniel, we shall find that the little horn whose mouth speaks great things, before whom three horns fell, that this very one, we say, becomes the beast itself. That is, the beast will find itself under the dominion of this little horn, as we might say that Napoleon was the French Empire, because he wielded all its resources. This beast will be the civil power, the Roman Empire, in apostasy or an open revolt against God. But there is also another beast, which is not the Roman Empire, which exercises all the power of the first beast before him. Verses 11 to 14 And I beheld, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. Here is something which has the semblance of Christ's power, and which later in the midst of the Jews will wear the form of Christianity. But as understood by the apostles, it is Satan's. It is, then, the second beast who will seduce the inhabitants of the earth, and who will cause them to follow the first, namely the civil power of the Roman Empire. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. This has already happened to the imperial form of the Roman Empire, but the wound is to be entirely healed. Thus the beast loses its imperial character for a time and its wound is afterwards healed. When this takes place, in all the astonished earth, men will go after it. The imperial beast will therefore again be seen on the earth, and in all the earth they will wonder after it. But we have also read that the second beast, by the great wonders which he does, seduce the inhabitants of the earth. This second beast will appear at the end under the character, not of a beast, but of a false prophet. All his secular power will be lost. He will no longer be a beast ravishing, devouring. This feature will be entirely effaced, and he will be seen as the false prophet, who will be recognized as the second beast already spoken of, 
by the perfect resemblance of his character as the person, in short, who has done the things which the second beast has done, but who appears at the close under this new form. Historical Note The false prophet is not Muhammad. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. Now Muhammad has never done this. Compare Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, with chapter 19, verse 20. If we take the moral side of the events already accomplished, we know who has exercised all the power in the presence of the civil authority. But there will be one also who will do great wonders and seduce the inhabitants of the earth. Farther on we shall have to look into the consequences of all this. In the meanwhile, let us gather up what we have been saying. Chapter 12 shows us the dragon in heaven, as the origin, the first cause of all this rebellion. Chapter 13 gives us the Roman Empire under its imperial form, as the providential visible agent. This beast is wounded to death, but his mortal wound is healed. There is also in its presence another power who seduces the inhabitants of the earth. It is when the mortal wound of this first beast is healed that all the world wondered after the beast. Add to this the circumstance of chapter 19, namely, that the second beast ceases to be one and appears at the end as a false prophet. In chapter 17 there is a description of the first beast which gives us other particulars. Verses 7 and 8 And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. It ascends out of the bottomless pit, that is, becomes positively the power of Satan towards the end. And this is what will happen when Satan, being cast out of heaven, which event will occur when the church has been caught up into heaven, will come down to the earth in great wrath. Then, under his influence, the beast, the Roman Empire, that was and is not and yet is, resumes his strength and form, that is, the civil power, instead of being in submission to God, takes the character of Satan and signalizes itself at his instigation by an open revolt against the power of God. To find all the marks for recognizing this last form of the beast, we must wait until the imperial head of the Roman Empire, the eighth king, shall appear in the world. This must take place before its ruin. When the Roman Empire existed under its pagan form, it had not ten kings. But when this beast reappears, let us keep in mind that it is the Roman Empire. Ten kings will give their power to it, instead of ten kings replacing it. More than this, it is after having been destroyed that it will come again into existence. In a word, it is not the pagan beast, nor the history of the Middle Ages, nor of ten barbarian kings, if indeed ten could be pronounced upon with any certainty, who have taken the place of the empire, but, and yet is. That is, the mortal wound will be healed, and the imperial beast will reappear. Note on and yet is. It is well known and sure that the genuine reading is according to Greek, and shall be present, not, and yet is. 
This evidently confirms the case, besides removing a sort of enigma or paradox in the vulgar text. End of note. The ten kings shall give their power and strength unto the beast. There will be an imperial head, an emperor, and ten kings who will give him their power. The kingdoms will continue in existence, but it will be a confederation of them. As an illustration, we may refer to the kingdoms of Spain, Holland, Westphalia, etc., under Napoleon. There has been the beast. There have been, it may be, ten kings, but never yet ten kings giving their power to the beast who was not and who came anew into existence. The seven heads are seven mountains. We are still occupied with the Roman Empire, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, namely the imperial one which existed in the time of John, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, because the seven have passed, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. That is, there will be an eighth head, one of a peculiar character, who will reunite all the power of the beast, who will be the beast himself, and who, while a head apart, is still one of the seven. It is the imperial head under a new form, for there are to be ten kings who will give their power to this eighth head. It is in this form that it will go down to destruction. It is exactly here that the coming of Christ and of the church connects itself with the subject of which we are treating. Revelation chapter 19 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 We must yet quote from Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 through 45. And the king shall do according to his will. Compare this with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, and following verses. We may observe that in Daniel chapter 11, the question is not one of ecclesiastical supremacy, but rather of wars between civil powers in the East. With verse 36 begins the history of Antichrist, of the king who shall do according to his will, just like the little horn in chapter 7, and who at last, after dealing in an idolatrous and apostate way in Jerusalem, finds his end with that first beast. It is a king like any other, a king of the earth, but exercising his power in the Holy Land at the close. Christianity, as such, is not brought before us, nor the mystery of lawlessness in it, that had preceded the appearance of the lawless one according to Second Thessalonians. Again, I say, it is no question of ecclesiastical matters, but of a king of this earth, who becomes an object of attack to the kings of the north and of the south. One remark on Second Thessalonians chapter 2 for our consolation in the midst of this sad concourse of events. Now we beseech you, brethren, says the apostle, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. Those who love the truth will entirely escape this deceivableness of unrighteousness, to which, on the contrary, all those will be delivered by the judgment of God who have received not the love of the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. This is the evil which is coming, and the world ought to be warned of it, because some may be salutarily frightened at the thought and led to consider the word of God. And why is all this announced to the children of God? 
It is in order that they may draw out of it the fullest comfort and may separate themselves from all that which drags men on to destruction. I say not that we Christians shall be involved in the catastrophe, but that, by being told beforehand of the judgments which will take place at this dreadful crisis, we are led to detach ourselves, even at this present time, from the causes which, by their nature and by the justice of God, bring it on. The Apostle, it would seem, had spoken a good deal of these things to the church of the Thessalonians, and had taught them to expect the coming of the Lord. Now what had Satan done? He had tried to terrify them in telling them that the day of the Lord was there. Greek, present. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. No, says the Apostle, I beseech you by the coming, presence, see Greek, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, which will proceed that day, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, as if we were already in it. This day will come on the lawless one, and not on you. You will already have been caught up to him, and you will accompany him personally in that great day when he will appear. The idea which usually prevails in the interpretation of this passage is that the parousia and the chimera have the same meaning affixed to them by the apostle, and that he uses the words interchangeably. Parousia means presence, not necessarily involving manifestation to the world. Chimera, day, on the contrary, always has to do in the Old Testament with judgment. Here the apostle uses the presence of the Lord and our gathering together to him in contrast with the day. I beseech you by his presence and our gathering to him not to be distracted about the day as if it were here. The day is present, said the seducers. The day is come. No, says the apostle, the day will not come until you, the Lord's faithful ones, have been caught up into the air and until the lawless one shall be revealed. These consolations are again confirmed, verses 9 and 10. Even him whose coming is, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. It is only needful to add that in this chapter it is the description of the moral character and of the unbridled iniquity of the lawless one and of the power of Satan, while in Daniel chapter 11 it is the picture of his outward character. It is to be feared, dear friends, that the exposition of prophecy this evening has not been the view which you have hitherto been led to take of it. I have been endeavoring to open out the distinction and at the same time the connection which there is between the civil and ecclesiastical power, as well as the distinction and at the same time the connection between the ecclesiastical apostasy and the civil apostasy. The two things are closely allied, because we read that the second beast exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and that the false prophet, which is the second beast, is thrown into the lake of fire with the first. We have also noticed that this fact connects itself with the presence of the Jews at Jerusalem, in whose vicinity the beast will come to his end, an event which will close this present dispensation in bringing out the power of Christ on the earth, which will lead to the union of Christ with the remnant of the Jews, and in consequence of that, to the bringing of all nations under his scepter. I have only spoken of the fourth beast. There are two points worthy of remark in connection with the history of Israel. Firstly, as to those nations who were in league against Israel when this people were owned of God, and secondly, 
as to the nations who carried them into captivity. As yet we have only been discussing the times of the Gentiles, that period during which the kingdom was transferred from the Jews to them, that is, the time of the four beasts, the times of the Gentiles. Daniel speaks of the four beasts only, Ezekiel speaks of the nations before the four beasts, and after, but never of the times of the Gentiles so called. It is during the period comprised in the history of these four beasts that Christianity comes in, and that the moral rebellion takes place. But we have seen that the ecclesiastical power, which has been the instrument of leading to such a result by assuming the place of God, taking away faith, and at the same time disgusting reason, putting aside natural religion, and under the pretext of the rites and revelation, corrupting and perverting this revelation itself, so that men should have no other objects than themselves, this power, I say, having played a part in the drama of iniquity which the enemy of our souls and of the Lord has brought to pass, will itself fall a victim to the violence of the human will, that will which itself has withdrawn from subjection to God and as incapable by its pretensions to religion openly to serve Satan, as it is of serving God with sincerity, in one word, incapable of truth. It becomes the cowardly counselor and a better of that iniquity of which it cannot constitute itself the actor. It provokes crimes which it dares not consummate, and of which the civil power is to be the active chief and executor. Dear friends, when the natural conscience is more upright than that resulting from religious forms, it is all over with the church. It is near its end. The candlestick will be removed, where it serves only as the instrument of wickedness, such as the world can hardly imagine. As men say, the corruptions of that which is most excellent is the worst of corruptions. As to the Antichrist, properly speaking, he will deny that Jesus is the Christ. He will deny the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 2 verse 22 He will not confess Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. 2 John chapter 7 He will deny everything sacred, the Father, the Son, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus come as man. We have seen his character, his acts, his form, and the source of his power. Satan will work directly by him. It will be a sort of satanic imitation of what God has done. The Father has given the throne to the Son, and the Spirit acts according to the power of the Son in the church before him. In the same way the dragon, Satan, will confer the throne on the beast, and great authority. The second beast, spiritual power, real antichrist and false prophet, exercises all the power of this last beast, civil power before him. Revelation chapter 13 verse 12 The judgment will decide in such a state of things. May God make us attentive to the character and to the end of the pride of man. The energy of his will is able to employ and to put to use all the means which God has delegated to him, and they are great. The results, so long as God has patience with him, will be great also. But man will be the center of all this. The feeling of his responsibility before God goes for nothing. God is, in reality, dishonored and degraded. The end of all man's most noble, most worthy aims, God, is wanting in all. It is the same principle and the same source, sin, from the beginning to the end. Man, acting of his own will to satisfy his lusts, ambitious for knowledge for selfish ends, exalting himself to a level with God, disobedient, and, as a consequence, 
acting under the influence and energy of Satan, such is the character of Antichrist, such is the history of Adam in his first fall, his first sin. It is the commencement and consummation of the same wickedness, whose evidence and contrast appeared in the death of our beloved and perfect Savior, who made its expiation for us. May His name of grace and glory be eternally blessed, and may He engrave these things on our hearts. Certainly He will preserve His church from all these evils which menace the world, for His church is united to Him.